Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oh What a Night, part of the 9 to podcast network. You join us on Monday, the 13th September, off the back of Spurs, having suffered their first defeat of the season, going down 3-0 to Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. On the pod today, two very special guests. Firstly, Dan Kirkpatrick from the Evening Standard. How are you doing, Dan? Recovering Hello. from your monstrous cycle to Selhurst and back. My mon- yeah, I've, I've cycled to Spurs, which is like... 18 kilometres from my house, and it's fine. It's just like a straight road. Um, I didn't get too sweaty. Selhurst is like six kilometres from my house, and it was hideous. It was up, directly up a hill and then down one on the other side. Um, so I don't think I've ever been sweaty or arriving to a match. Were you like in that really like flustered state by the time you arrived, where everything's clammy and you're just like, oh, I'm not right? Yeah, like I was I was properly miserable. I was kind of like <laughs> sort of swearing to myself under my breath and you know when you're just really uncomfortable and miserable and just kind of dripping and sweat and not looking forward to a kind of working day ahead and then Spurs went and picked your mood right up getting absolutely humped like that oh just yeah grim. exactly yeah just grim um and joining us so uh, like friend of the po- I think you've probably earned this title friend of the pod from Rule the Roost and all things Spurs, Jack Hussey, a.k.a. Tetrunk. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So you won't be able to see, obviously, we're not putting this out as a video, but Jack, you look like you have a wonderful setup at home. Like This is like a designated podcasting room. Look, don't out me as a nerd, mate. Come on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of rock up to this stuff casually, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, look- I don't put any thought into anything. Full neat you look like you've got a specialist headset. chair and two mics, is it? It's <laughs> just headset. What is this? There's something. This, uh... No, it's just one mic. It's just the one mic. Oh, what's that on your uh, other side? It's that noise. Hair, that's no- it's noise cancelling. We've got noise cancelling sort of clouds in the background just to make sure there's no got a kind of booth. You're oh, in this, this thing. This oh, is yeah. this is my this is my cat's tree. Oh, I see. Yeah, It looks like it could be a kind of omnidirectional mic just behind you, just, just to pick up any um, ambient noise. <laughs> oh, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Um, right. So I should just address where all the other guys are. Firstly, Hunter's off on a well-earned holiday. Um, I think he was desperate to get out of the country after watching Spurs. Um, Jude's taking a little bit of time off. He'll be back soon. But um, we should just say our uh, condolences to Jude, who really sadly lost his mum the other week. So, Jude, I hope everything's going okay at home, mate. Um, and we're all with you. And then also to Shawnee, who's struggling a little bit at the moment as well. Um, lots of love to you as well, bud. And I hope you're you're getting on okay. Hopefully, they'll be back with us very, very soon. Um, I know the guys will appreciate if you give them a shout out on Twitter. So do get in touch with them and send on your support as well. Um, quick reminder, you can follow all the guys on social. I'll put links to their handles in the description. 
and we can get into it now. So we'll do the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful, as we always do, although we're very, very thin on good stuff to talk about. Um, let's just talk about it a little bit more generally first. Dan, I mean, it looked like there was a rocking atmosphere at Selhurst and I can't help feeling like we played our part in making sure that we really riled the crowd up as well. Yeah, I think the way Spurs played definitely played into the hands of Palace and the crowd. Just that very conservative approach, which kind of inevitably invited pressure. And yeah, that, that allowed the, the crowd and the Palace side, I think, just to kind of grow in confidence. And, you know, after Dyer went off, they just seemed to get stronger and stronger as, as the game went on. And it, it began to feel like an inevitability, really, until they scored. Um of course, I'm sure we'll come in, come on to it, but that might have been different if Nuno had, had changed something, but he didn't. Um, so, yeah, a, a really meek Spurs performance. One of the worst I can remember, you know, for, for a long, long time. And that's that's kind of saying something given the last few years, I think. I, I, I completely agree with that, Jack. I, this is one of the first weekends in a long time that I've come away from a Spurs performance and been, well, I say a long time since last season, but come away from a Spurs performance that has genuinely had an impact on my weekend. I've sort of turned it off and I've been not just like, oh, we've lost, but I was genuinely annoyed at the manner in the way which we were beaten so comprehensively. Yeah, it was just frustrating really, wasn't it? Because it didn't look like, like you're saying, after Dyer went off, it just looked like the fight, was completely gone from the side. We, we weren't really chasing anything. We weren't really kind of harrying or pressing at all. We just seemed completely resigned to losing already. It, it, it was just, it was, the, the thing I find frustrating about these type of results is, and I've seen people say, okay, how, how can you expect any different after how the first three games have gone? You know, we didn't register many shots on target. We sort of scraped the wins, but we got the wins and that's the kind of way I look at it. But it seems to be that some teams managed to use those kind of performances and set that as their basement. Okay, we've managed to scrape these wins and get through. But worryingly, on the performance, like on the basis of that performance, it kind of maybe looks like that's, you know, that that was all right. That was good. And that's kind of what we can expect from the good times, at, at the so-called good times anyway at Spurs. And... I, d- I don't know. It was just it was a very it was a very concerning performance. I felt. What Dan was it the same for you? Was there like elements there that made you suddenly sort of go, "Oh, this is not just a defeat. We've got to worry a little bit here." Yeah, there, there really was, to be honest. And obviously, there's huge caveats to this defeat and performance that we should mention. You know, it's early days for Nuno. And he was missing five players from the international break. And he lost both his starting centre-backs before the hour. And the second loss, you know, the Tanganga sending off, you know, directly prevented him from making the attacking change that he was about to make. So there are kind of caveats to this. But I think just on the whole, Nuno's mentality really concerned me. And I think he has to kind of learn from this and, and make it the exception, not the rule, because... The mentality that he displayed, I think, on Saturday is, is just not compatible with Spurs going forward. Um, it was caution first from the start. You know, he set the team up. Um, you know, obviously, in, in the absence of, of Bergwijn and Son, you know, which was unfortunate, he could have played 
um, Hill in the front three and kept Delhi in the midfield, but he brought in Winks instead. So it was cautious from the start with effectively kind of three of the same type of midfielders, all kind of more sitting midfielders who are you know going to keep the ball ticking over rather than provide a bit of forward thrust. And then once it became clear that Spurs couldn't really get into the game and, and were being overrun by Palace, he he didn't make any changes and he seemed sort of paralysed by inaction. A bit like Gareth Southgate was on, on England duty in Poland uh, midweek. Um, so it was deeply frustrating just watching the game unfold and, and it was screaming out from Dombele. And again, there's a caveat there. I kind of understand why he doesn't want to put Dombele in straight away. But but just anything would have would have made a difference. I was even saying in the first half he could have you know put Hoybier, um sort of ten twelve yards further forward, which he does for, for Denmark very well. Um, so that it was it was concerning, and then obviously the fact that he you know as a kind of last act act of inaction, if you like, just didn't make any changes after Spurs fell behind and didn't react to. Um, either of the first two Palace goals. You know, he, he wouldn't throw caution to the wind. That was kind of particularly worrying because you just think at that point there was nothing to lose. But, you know, Gill and, and Ndombele, Hill, sorry, and Ndombele stayed on the bench. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a defeat and in difficult circumstances. But, but I do think that the, the kind of overall approach and, and mentality of Nuno was, was worrying. I, that was the kicker for me, actually. No, I heard that, Dan, it was... After the after the red card, I felt like, oh God, this isn't this is now an exercise in holding out. But then once we conceded, mm. we weren't going to hold out. You know, we won nil down. I, I I sort of struggled to understand what the mentality was in terms of how are we going to turn this game around now? Like surely having won three games on the spin and being top of the table, we don't need to worry about oh well, well let's just try and keep it to one. It's kind of like well let's have a go now and I. I don't know about you, Jack. I just felt like we didn't trouble Palace at all. No, we didn't. Uh, I think there was there were a couple of moments. Lucas had a few sort of surging runs, but you know they ultimately came to nothing, as is often the case with Lucas. And I'm not trying to dig him out. Like you know, I, I do think he started the season very well. I thought he was one of the shining lights in this game. But I guess that's just kind of the difference between a player like Lucas and someone who probably occupies a similar position, a similar characteristic, yeah, someone like Salah, for example, you know, there's a, there's a clear mark in sort of Salah's quality upward from someone like Lucas. I mean, I don't really know why I'm making that comparison at this no, but point. The, the but... point stands because yeah. you see the productivity that comes with the sort of like the flashes of excitement as well, right? Precisely. And it just, what, what made this more sort of, I, I think just bothering really watching this game was seeing, I've seen Conor Gallagher, who just, uh, I sort of tweeted at the time, he just absolutely reeks of Chelsea, you know, and every, we we played, uh, he played against us, I think when he was on loan to West Brom, and obviously when he was against Palace, and he just seems to give it everything, and it was just such a juxtaposition to what we were seeing in our, in our team. I mean, I, I don't, for example, okay, so I don't, I don't want to, dig him out even though I kind of am at the moment but this, uh, a player like Oliver Skip who I think is a, a fine footballer I think he's very very good and I think he is very promising but he just like in this game he just seemed to shrink he didn't seem to really offer any of the kind of tenacity that we saw in sort of clips and whatever coming through from Norwich last year 
where it's kind of like, you know, he, he looks like he has a lot of ability, but is the occasion too big for him? Is this, is the kind of, is, is this too soon for him to be taking such a, an important role in Tottenham's team? I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of starting to ask that question now because I don't know if I've seen anything thus far this season that's really shown that he's kind of that exciting or that kind of up for the fight, if you, you like. And, and yeah, go on. Do, do you think potentially though that, that, that's part of the problem with, with a midfield like that is there is, you know what you're getting from that midfield and there is nothing exciting in that midfield. Like it no. looked very, very practical. It looked very kind of like, yeah. okay, let's pack it out. I mean, I know this is a, a very over, overly simplified kind of way of looking at things, but you know, I think we heard after the match Nuno saying that he was bothered by the lack of creativity in the team, but you've got Ndombele and you've got Hill sat there. I mean, okay, well, if you've got these issues with Ndombele that we've heard about, we can put that aside and maybe, okay, that's a bigger conversation. But a player like Hill, I mean, he's, albeit only in the Europa Conference, but he still has looked like one of our best players on the pitch when he's played in those games. Uh, he's, he's, he's obviously come with a, a big reputation. There's obviously a lot of promise there. And yeah, he may be raw, he may be rough, but when we're down to kind of bare bones like this, what's the harm in playing someone like him? He's clearly very talented. And I don't really see there being a massive difference. Yeah, if we're talking about him being raw and being not in a position to kind of, you know, put too much expectation on him, I don't think there's much difference between him and Skip in terms of their career development. If anything, Hill's probably further along. Um, So it just just all seemed very, very strange to me and just, just disappointing, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the kicker, isn't it? You come away really quite like drained and sapped from a day like yesterday. But let's try and uh, pick out some of the good bits. Now, I suppose the, the main one, actually, let's do two of these. So the main one would be Emerson. Now, it might seem strange to put Emerson in in a good section, but when you consider that Zaha is probably one of the best one-on-one attackers in the league, it didn't feel down like he, he particularly shirked the challenge, did he? I think this is a real stretch from us, but I'm willing to go with it because we haven't got anything else. <laughs> Brilliant. Look, Emerson clearly lost the individual battle with Zaha and he lost it quite badly in the end because the second goal, the clincher, if you like, came with Zaha running pretty free down the left flank. And I think Emerson was just caught a little bit central and Zaha was able to get behind him. Uh, and actually the third goal as well. Emerson was the man on Edouard, um, albeit I don't think he can really be blamed directly for either, but he, you know, he didn't cover himself with glory for either, put it that way. Um, so look, he lost the individual battle, but yeah, I do think there was just about enough there to suggest he will be an upgrade. Um, again, it was incredibly difficult circumstances for him. I think, you know, Nuno said before the game, he's only really spoken to Lucas this week. He doesn't really have any English, so he probably didn't, know half his teammates names but he played with four different centre-halves on his Premier League debut against as you said one of the best one-on-one wingers in the league so it was really tough circumstances and yeah I think there was enough there to suggest that you know he, he could be a pretty decent signing um he got stuck in he, he won I think the second most tackles in the side behind Lucas on, on the day um he won a corner, which, given how bad Spurs were going forward, was actually one of genuinely one of the best attacking moments of the game for Spurs. Um, so yeah, they're, they're little glimmers. I'm not sure 
he occasionally looked like he could keep up with Zaha, occasionally looked like he couldn't. Um, he's got a good leap on him. Um, clearly, that there's something there. And, you know, for Spurs to release Aurier and bring this guy in, you know, suggests that, you know, that they're, they think, you know, he will be a, a relatively solid upgrade. And, and I, I can kind of understand that from Zaha's Park, but I, I think, you know, we should stress that, yeah, it was ultimately a bit of a nightmare debut, albeit not really his fault. Yeah, it sort of felt a little bit unfair, Jack, didn't it? That, it, <laughs> that out of all players on the pitch, that had to face Zaha when we were playing with a depleted team. It was a guy who's kind of coming in for a baptism of fire, really. Yeah, big time. Um, and <laughs> I would like to sort of note on the fact that, like, looking at someone like Zaha again the other day, it just kind of feels like, I don't know, it'd be nice if we had a, a player like that. I think we do in Son, to be honest. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's that's part of it. But there is still something about a player like Zaha who I think like maybe Spurs should test Palace's resolve again because I think he could, I think he could be decent fodder for us. Yeah, well, particularly when you're playing against the team, I don't know about you guys, I felt like every time that we sort of broke away an attack, I mean, like you said, Jack, not having Son is such a huge miss for us. It's, it really makes such a massive difference because of his pace. But every time you saw Lucas break forward and sort of burst out of a few challenges, it's sort of like, he was, this is like a Hail Mary sort of thing. Like he was going to have to run the whole team. He was going to have to do absolutely everyone because it all turned around. There was no one within 20 yards of him. Um, let's just yeah. touch on the, on the good with, with Delhi as well. Like I thought he put in another decent performance and in particular that block where we sort of run 30 40 yards and dived in front of the ball that's a different deli to maybe what people are expecting you reckon jack yeah big time i think you know we've got to it feels like a conversation we've had for the past three years now but i think people have got to stop looking for ironically enough the deli that was at selhurst park a few years ago which i think a lot of people forget as well had a terrible game that day despite his in you know, worldy of a winner that he scored in that game. But I just think he started the season very well. He's working hard. He's he's always running into space, which has always been one of the things he's done very well. Um, his sort of understanding, his pitch awareness, the way he reads the game, I think is brilliant. It's up there. And, I, I you know, I, he's going through the motions, I think. In a pretty miserable afternoon, I still think he was one of the kind of better players that, that we had. And he sort of typified a lot of what we'd like to see from this team as in like he was giving it everything, sort of closing down, getting stuck in. And he's not a particularly tough tackler, is he, Delhi, historically? So I feel like we've done quite well there in that we've managed to draw out some positives from a 3-0 defeat away from home. Um, let's let, let loose a little bit and go into the bads. Let's start with team selection. Now, I know we've said that Nuno's hand was forced, but I still do look at this one, Dan, and think like, I feel like we give Palace way too much respect in terms of how we approached it. Yeah, I think I'll be repeating myself because I said it at the top, but yeah, it, it was a poor team selection and then he didn't react during the game, which was almost more frustrating than his initial caution. I think you, you could kind of understand his caution from the start, I suppose, given the, the missing players, you know, the three South Americans in Croatia, no Son or Bergvine. And then you wonder if, you know, Hill, who was on international duty, I think was Spain's under-21s, you know, we don't know what condition he came back in. And then obviously there's the, the Ndombele situation. So, 
you, you, you could sort of rationalise bringing in Winks and Lucas, I think, uh, when, I, when you saw the team sheet. But it was pretty clear that it wasn't working. There was just far too much of the same thing in midfield. As, as Jack has, I think, touched on, you know, all of them were, were playing very safe. You know, none of Skip, uh, Hoybier and Winks were, were really kind of looking to get on the ball and, and drive forward and get into the box. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was poor. And I think, you know, a lot of us could have could have predicted that beforehand. Um, but, again, just the fact that it, it kind of wasn't changed, I think, was almost more damning um, for me. What do you, what do you <laughs> Elsewhere, I think, you know, I could kind of un- understand moving Tanganga to centre-half. I didn't, you know, didn't think that was a bad move. And I actually thought he played pretty well before until he got sent off. Um, but look, there was there was another way to set up, and that was, you know, arguably with um, Ndombele and Hill. You know, you could have easily played just one of Hoybier or Skip or Winks. You know, it was it was Palace. So, you know, with all due respect, you know, even two holding midfielders might have been considered overkill. Um, but Nuno went with three. When you look ahead to Chelsea now, what do you think he does to mix it up? Like something has to change, right? Well, it really depends on on the availability. I mean, the three South Americans get back the day before the game. So in normal circumstances, I think it would be pretty unlikely they would feature. Um, if Son, Dyer, um, and Bergvine aren't fit or, or two of them aren't fit, then Nuno might have to risk, you know, one or two of the South Americans from the start or at least put them in the squad. We know Tanganga is suspended, so it's it's looking like a, a bit of a nightmare at the moment. I mean, we've said this in this podcast about a hundred times, but you know, I'd, I'd like to see Ndombele play at Chelsea. I think has to, he has to. Only chance of kind of getting close to that midfield of, of, of you know Kante and, and probably Kovacic and Jorginho is to um, is to have him in there. You know, he's he's really the only chance Spurs have, I think, of, of laying a glove on them, um, and I think. You know, even when he was at his kind of lowest point under under Mourinho, when he was being you know publicly criticised relatively often, he still was actually quite decent when he came on generally and, and made a difference in games. I don't think he's ever really been awful on the pitch. So I think that's a move Nuno should should make this week, regardless of the other selection you know decisions. On Jack, I feel like something Ndombele related is on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, I mean, it's just Dan touching it there. I mean, if we want anything from this Chelsea game, he ha- he just he has to play. He absolutely has to. He's you know his press resistance is well noted. So, and we know Chelsea are a team that completely command midfield. That's how they strangle games entirely. Ndombele is. T- just he's crucial to it. And not only will he be able to do that, I mean, we are pretty much going to be playing this game on the back foot, I think, even though we are at home. And he's going to be one of the only people that, as well, is whilst we're under pressure, there's going to probably be able to pick out Kane um, up front or maybe a Lucas who's making a run in order for us to get those goals on the break. That you know, that's the only way I can see us beating Chelsea. And I just think this the, the wider point of this is obviously I'm not privy to anything that's going on in the dressing room or the conversations that the players are having. But from what we can understand about, you know, it, it, it would appear to be that Ndombele hasn't made the best first impression upon Nuno with his 
sort of supposed desire to leave the club and everything like that. It, I just think ultimately, and, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, I'm saying I haven't been annoyed with Ndombele and kind of reacted in that sort of emotional way that fans do. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's disappointing. This is, you know, this is, I can't put it all on Nuno, but at the same time, there has to be an element of this, of this is Nuno's job, you know, he's, he's not supposed to be reacting to this stuff emotionally. Surely he's got to be looking at a player like Ndombele and thinking, okay, if he's, if he's a, difficult character or whatever I don't know or if there's if there's a difficult circumstance should I say around how things are going at the moment it's his job to manage that and surely for the best of the team is to just to inspire him to inspire Ndombele and get him playing for Tottenham it's a clean slate Mourinho's gone you know in it's just kind of gone down this path again. I mean, he hasn't called him out as directly as someone like Mourinho did, but we've still seen kind of shades of it. And I've just, it's all just a bit tedious, you know, the guy, the guy is a brilliant player and brilliant players are sometimes difficult. You know, you can see that all across football and just, just get him in the team, you know? I do wonder whether we, I mean, should we read anything into the fact that he was even like the fact that he was included in the squad, Dan? Because I don't know about you, I, 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 I mean, I make no secret of the fact that I'm such an Ndombele fanboy that when I watch the players arriving to match day at, at Spurs and I see that he hasn't got off the coach, a little bit of me is crestfallen every time. So the fact that he was even in the squad yesterday, should we be taking anything from that? Or do you think that's a massive reach considering so many players were away? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Nuna had three youngsters on the bench, so... He would have happily included the fourth youngster instead of Ndombele, I think, if, if he if he had totally ruled out playing him at all. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we can read into it that he's now back in the manager's thoughts. And I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't play against Wren on Thursday, you know, probably from the start, I would have I would imagine. So yeah, I think you know we can take from it that he's he's kind of back in the the selection conversation at the very least. Um but again, to, to repeat myself, you know, the fact that he wasn't seemingly considered from the bench at any point, you know, even considering the fact that Nuno had to make two defensive subs or certainly had to make one defensive sub and then made a second one when Tanganga went off. The fact that he he didn't, you know, get stripped off or even look like he was ready to come on, you know, was was again a bit concerning because it kind of suggests that Nuno, you know, whatever kind of issues he has with Ndombele or whatever issues, you know, he believes Ndombele has with the club, you know, he wasn't kind of willing to, you know, put those to one side for the for the good of the side. So I think really, you know, more than Hill, I think they needed Ndombele on, on Saturday. You know, he would have helped them get control of that midfield and, and added a, a spark that was that was badly missing. Yeah, and I think you I think both you guys actually alluded to it as well. I just feel like without that sort of link. Harry Kane in those games can just look so isolated. He can just look completely cut adrift and like he's not really involved in the game in any way. His most meaningful contributions usually are clearing corners or, or being in the in the box to win big headers defensively. So um, let, let's move on. And we're going to do the, the sort of ugly and the beautiful at the same time because I'm going to put in the beautiful first, Tanganga's first challenge. And then I'm going to put in the ugly, Tanganga's second challenge. Now, I didn't really have any issue whatsoever with that, that first challenge. In fact, I think he actually got it completely spot on. I feel like he read the situation very well. Like He needed, in that situation, to end that attack. 
because Spurs were clearly flustered off the back of Lucas Moura getting getting fouled, not winning a free kick, Palace not putting the ball out, and Spurs just in terms of defensive structure being completely all over the place. So he got that one right, and then he didn't put his hands up, and he made sure that he kind of got the edge on Zahar in terms of that little confrontation, because realistically, he made a, a, a poor challenge, a foul, and it was Zahar that got booked as well. So he almost won a yellow card in that exchange where he should have been one nil down, essentially. The one for me that goes in the ugly is, is the second one, because in that situation, I feel like you just need to take a breath, just need to siphon out some of that nervous or anxious energy and just settle down a bit. Like cool heads were needed at that moment because we were really under pressure. And I don't know how it was in the stadium, Dan, but it felt to me from the moment that he started to lunge, I was like, oh, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Was it the same at Selhurst? Yeah, I mean, albeit you can barely see the pitch from the press box at Selhurst, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your, your assessment, really. I think you were maybe a touch generous about the first one. I mean, he he got his face very close to Zaha's face, I thought, and I think the referee made the right call because you'd have hated to see kind of one or both those players sent off for that because it was obviously just a, you know, quite a heated moment. Um, but I, I thought Tanganga and Zaha actually were, were kind of lucky that the referee was sensible. Um, but yeah, it, it was rash and it, 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 it was inexperienced, I suppose. And, and he, he will learn from it, you imagine. Um, but what's good about Tanganga is he does play his game with a lot of aggression. I mean, you, you saw that in the City game and it was you know really hailed as a big positive. You know, he there were three or four kind of quite big challenges on Grealish and Sterling. I think, if I remember rightly, he got spoken to or Lloris got spoken to to kind of tell him to to calm down. So, yeah, he, he plays his game um, on the edge with that level of aggression. I think that's what makes him the, the player that he is. So you, you don't want to take it out, but you're absolutely right that in the kind of five or ten minutes after the Zaha incident, it was just about kind of keeping a cool head and, you know, if anything, trying to, you know, frustrate Zaha more um, and kind of make him lose his way. But instead, you know, that's, you know, it was the shoe was on the other foot, really, and it was sort of Tanganga that, that kind of lost it. Yeah, was it the same for you, Jack? Yeah, I, I mean, just overall, I, I just really like Tanganga. I think at the moment, when we're kind of seeing, what we're talking about at the top of this kind of a lack of desire, a lack of fight in the team, I think having players like him around is only a good thing, really. He's from the academy. He's got a point to prove. Um and we've seen it. Yeah, there are there are glimpses of inexperience that come through, um, and that yeah that will hopefully get ironed out in time if he gets more kind of minutes on the pitch. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays now that Emerson's come into uh, come into the side almost imme- well actually immediately. Um, but you know, I, I like him. I think he's I think he's a, a good thing to have. It's interesting, isn't it, that that I think probably Emerson wouldn't have started if we had had any of our other centre-backs fit. I think chances are Tanganga would have started at right-back and Emerson would have come on, you know, and he wouldn't have been launched straight into it. But now, given that Tanganga's going to miss the next game, you think Emerson probably is going to be straight back into the fire in line with, with a front three of Chelsea running at him, or even, it's not a front three, is it? It's kind of a front three plus the wing-backs getting involved as well. So... Uh, lots to look forward there too for him. Let's just quickly touch on 
the situation with the internationals, Dan, as far as you're concerned, it's, it, you said it was the day before we're potentially expecting players to come back for the Chelsea game. Yeah, that's what Nuno said. So he's expecting them back on Saturday. And for my money, that makes them unlikely to be included against Chelsea. I mean, I guess some or all of them could be on the bench. It's just quite hard to imagine, you know, Nuno having done the the preparation work on the training ground, albeit he'll be restricted to that on, on kind of Friday afternoon, I think on Saturday, given Spurs are playing in France on Thursday night. But it's hard to imagine him being able to put them straight in or wanting to put them straight in. But I guess it's needs must. Tanganga is suspended. Dyer looked in a lot of discomfort. It's his thigh. I think it was basically a pretty severe dead leg or bruising. Um, so whether he'll be able to play Sunday is pretty doubtful, I think. So, yeah, I think, I'm sure Emerson's going to keep his place. And it's just a question of how they sort of cobble together uh, a back two. I mean, I think it will be Roden, and I think he did reasonably well against Palace. Um but I, I don't think anyone really wants to see Ben Davis starting a two. Um, for my money, he's, he's never done that for Spurs. Maybe once in the Europa League under Mourinho and made a horrible error. <laughs> so no one wants to see that. So I guess it's, it's probably dire or, or, or risk one of the South Americans. And, and Sanchez seems the likeliest given that he played in the first three games. Just a little bit... For me, I know it's so much easier being on the sidelines and commenting on what others should or shouldn't do. But I feel like at times, maybe there's just a little bit of a lack of foresight, Jack, around what when you make a decision as a player to go and play internationally. Obviously, it's one of the most enormous honors that you can you can ever have. But you, I, I just feel like maybe the situation has not been presented clearly enough or at least they, their understanding of the situation just hasn't been clear enough in terms of the impact that this will have, not only on themselves, but on the rest of the team. Because it's fine to make a decision to say, OK, well, I'm going to go and play international football. But do you reckon there's, there's the, the understanding there that if they an individual goes alongside five others, that it leaves the team in a ridiculous situation? I think it's hard to know, isn't it, exactly what people are thinking. And I mean, I've seen a lot of this kind of stuff of like, oh, it just means more to them because they're South American and stuff, which I kind of, I'm not really as on board with. I think, you know, every, every, everyone wants to play for their national team ultimately. I don't think... You are South American as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not just being a massive gammon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um but like, uh, you know, I, I find that kind of, you know, there's that old expression, the bigotry of low expectations, right? And I think that's kind of what's applied quite liberally in these situations. Um, so it is disappointing that the players, when you can, you can understand it from their perspective, you know, Argentina against Brazil, if we're talking about the Argentinians in particular, Argentina against Brazil is big, um, to say the least. <sighs> It's annoying because the players have been, it's a, it's a catch-22, isn't it? The players have been put in a, an impossible decision, again, by the system, by the footballing authorities. Um, so they essentially get the brunt of the fans' ire in situations like this when it goes to shit. Um, however, ultimately, they've still made that decision, probably knowing what it would entail. You know, it's against kind of, 
you know, the, the government's advice for traveling abroad. It's against the club's own advice. It's against the Premier League's advice, you know. And I mean, the, I've seen these kind of, I've seen some kind of conspiracy theories floated around that, you know, well, the club wished them good luck and all that type of stuff. That's just a social media manager doing their their job, their sort of day-to-day thing. That's not a re- that's not Daniel Levy on tweet deck typing it out and wishing them good luck, is it? Like I mean, grow up, you know. It's like but, I that image though. I mean that is a brilliant image of him sitting there with multiple tabs open trying to do it all at the same time. Imagine if it actually was. Like, I, I, to be honest, if I was Daniel Levy, I wouldn't want to use Twitter, to be honest. So, uh, um, he had to do some kind of undercover boss series where he just worked with the team for, for three weeks. Oh, that would be brilliant. Became a social media uh, executive. He's just wearing like a big wig. And, and, and <laughs> oh, quality. Sorry, Jack, I interrupted you. Go on, I, well, it's just, it's just, it's, I think it's just one of those things that ultimately it's disappointing, isn't it? Because, you know, it's, it's just another affirmation again that the players' hearts lie elsewhere, that the club isn't as important to them as it is to us. I, th- I think that's ultimately where the feeling comes from. Um, that how, how dare they value something above the prestige <laughs> of playing for Tottenham Hotspur? But it's only you when know. you sort of say it out loud that you start to realize that. You, there's not much any of us can do, right? We'd, we can no. we can all try and hold people up to these ridiculous sort of like much higher kind of expectations and stuff, but the reality is it, they're human beings at the end of the day. I think the only thing I might have I, I added... Yeah. Sorry, the only thing I might have added is that like there was an opportunity to hide behind the legal ramifications. There was a there was an option there to absolve yourself of any kind of like wrongdoing to either side by saying, look, I've read this country and you cannot travel to those places for anything other than like super exceptional circumstances. So, yeah. And it's, it's probably, it probably is a bit questionable somewhat morally. I'm sure I'll be getting called a Tory or something, but I still think there's a, there's a case for, you know, docking wages and stuff given what they've done. Like, I know, I know, right? <laughs> I it's, ever, it's ever since I moved out to the sticks. <laughs> Get that on the side of a bus. Right, it's been an absolute pleasure, gents. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining everyone at home. It's been a pleasure to uh, to get back to talking about Tottenham, even if it was off the back of a, a rubbish defeat. Uh, we'll be back with you again next Monday, where hopefully things will be a bit more positive off the back of the Chelsea game. Make sure you check out Dan and Jack on Twitter. You can find their handles in the description. We'll see you all next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.